Joe Biden wants to take the internet away from you and turn it into his own private plaything. What are we gonna do about it? Let's talk about it. That's what. Kara Fredericks here from the Heritage Foundation. I'm James Polis. This is Zero Hour. Frederick is director of the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation, a really big deal in Washington, D.C. Her research focuses on big tech and emerging technology policy. Prior to Heritage, she was a fellow for the Technology and National Security Program at the Center for New American Security. This is D.C., after all, where she concentrated on high-tech illiberalism, data privacy, and digital surveillance, all back to haunt us this very day. Welcome, Kara. Thanks for having me. So they're nationalizing the Internet. Biden knows what he wants, or at least whoever's, like, uh, telling him what he wants. Good point. Uh, every day there's a new executive order, there's a new alphabet agency just clawing everything that happens online into their tight little hands. What are we going to do about it? Okay, so my initial reaction is not always to be like, okay, you know, anything that the executives do is bad. Trump himself had some great executive orders, especially sure. when it came to WeChat, TikTok, uh, and various other things, especially along the, the Chinese Communist Party, anti-Chinese Communist Party lines. So sometimes this can be important. There are, you know, there's room for these federal agencies and for people to get together and actually talk about tech governance. This is a different animal in and of itself. Um, you know, there are some bright spots, especially when it comes to the executive order on AI, primarily because it sort of nudges companies or other, you know, tech entities to think about privacy enhancing technologies that might eventually work at cross purposes to these, you know, massive bureaucratic um, infringements upon our technological and digital rights. However, you know, I think if you hew towards always, always, always privacy, transparency, you're going to thwart some of the ambitions of the more power hungry bureaucrats that are behind a lot of these executive orders and, um, you know, some of these piecemeal proclamations that seek to establish more control over the Internet and frankly shape the behavior, behavior of users. So privacy by design and then mandating transparency. I think those are two of the antidotes to what Biden is trying to do or his handlers are trying to do. Okay, well the assumption there is that privacy actually does exist on the internet. Uh, we got news just recently that uh, they're sort of using push notifications to figure out who's saying what when. I, you know, T Tucker Carlson said that his signal was just basically hacked or whatever. I mean, where do we find this privacy and how can I enjoy some of it? Okay, online? well I think you have to basically layer some of these privacy um, uh, features. Um, so there's a, a technological way to do it. So we've talked about federated models of machine learning, we've talked about differential privacy. We've talked about approaches to machine learning in some of my research that can basically not have to ha have a retrofitted uh, piece of legislation. But in the absence of that right now, because we're trying to encourage these uh, companies to actually do privacy by design, because that ne hasn't necessarily happened, now we have to do the privacy legislation thing. And I think that requires a national data protection framework. So you start with uh, letting American users, the average 
average person understand how their data is collected, stored, and shared, first and foremost, in plain English, that kind of thing. So a national data protection framework layered over some of these technical privacy features, that will be helpful. It'll be just a start, right? So as these, I would say these models are continuously being built out as, um, you know, my idea is to open source some foundation models, especially when it comes to AI. Um, but as these models are being built, as they're being shipped, then we need to uh, we need to make sure that they are imbued with our values, and that value should be privacy. Signal, you know, I was so bullish on the Signal Foundation initially. I thought it, it was um, a hedge against uh, you know WhatsApp being compromised, a hedge against um, a lot of these um, digital platforms that that didn't value it as much as Signal. But but yeah, I'm. It, it worries me, uh, especially what Tucker Carlson said. You know, he turned out to be right when it came to the National Security Agency, a place where I did two rotations over two years uh, when I was in the intelligence community. So um, it's a it's a massive problem. Uh, what is even more scary to me is if you remember back in September of 2021 when Apple was sort of creating a pathway mm -hmm. to surveil your device directly under the auspices of uh, CSAM, child sexual abuse material, um, uh, trying to get rid of it, um, that was scary. And then a couple, frankly, lefties blew the whistle on this new frontier of surveillance where you have, you know, this is happening directly on your device. That to me is the most scary, given what these tech companies have done and have proven that they've done over the past few years. And that is not hewing towards freedom of expression or um, even allowing legitimate political speech to be pervasive on these platforms. So surveillance directly on the device as the next frontier uh, that everyone should be on the lookout for that. Yeah, there's still a few lefties out there who are not quite ready to join the Borg. Uh, does that mean that we can actually pass like data security and, and privacy law? Can we do this in DC? Okay, so I'll give you guys some inside baseball. I went to the Senate AI Insight Forum, the fifth one, spoke at the um, the Artificial Intelligence Forum that Schumer is calling uh, with four bipartisan senators. They're closed doors. If you'll remember, Elon Musk, Nunar Pichai, uh, Bill Gates, they spoke at the first ones. And um, I pitched this idea of of a national data protection framework and, um, you know, Chatham House rules and all that, I guess, uh, people said it was very hard. It was very, very difficult because obviously some of this data exploitation benefits, even the users themselves. Um, a couple of use cases were mentioned. Okay, that makes sense. And then um, someone spoke up and said, there's a reason why we haven't done it because it's very, very hard. But I, I think that... But why know, is it hard? Well, that's the thing. The representatives, we elect these people to solve those problems. And I think if they were upfront with the American people, if they were saying, oh, if they said something as simple as what we at the Heritage Foundation have laid out in our February 2022 combating big tech paper, if they just did that, and that is having those, first, those very, very easy first steps, um, have big tech companies uh, make sure that they're telling users how their data is stored, collected, and shared, and then having some strictures on that third-party data collection and sharing. It, it's, it's very simple. In my mind, there just has to be the political appetite to do it, but you have all sorts of lobbying dollars. You have you know, the big tech companies themselves that are very um, prodigious in, in those hallways with the resources that they have. And I'm not a cynic, uh, but having spent you know, multiple years now, um, just right across the street from the Senate and from uh, the House and, and walking through those hallways to, to try to peddle my policy recommendations, you know, it, 
we are up against a lot of, I often tell, you know, one of my um, uh, teammates at, at Heritage, hey, we are we are like Sisyphus, right? Like we're, we're pushing the rock uphill and it's only you and me at this point. And it's James Poulos and it's a couple other institutions um, that are really, really scrappy and we're fighting these industry groups. We're fighting the big tech companies with their massive largesse of which we saw um, in, remember Mark Zuckerberg in the election, $419 million uh, to specific um, and non-governmental organizations. They have that kind of money like chump change, right? I worked in these big tech companies. I know what costs they can eat and how much money they make. And we are we're facing all of that. We're facing, frankly, a, a right of center um, set of representatives that that are are still having their opinions shaped about this. I think the Hunter Biden laptop story really woke a lot of them up. Um, the parlor saga following in January um, waking them up as well, but we have yet to get there. So I see this as still as an uphill battle. Um, I see us as outmatched and outgunned right now, but we have to start somewhere. Um, and, and that's why I don't think anything's happened yet, but I, I I'm pretty sanguine about, uh, about our ability to, to, have impact in that way. Yeah, we got the whole squad endlessly pushing a boulder uphill. Uh, <laughs> I mean, at least you you can name check the white paper, so you are still making headway in inside the Beltway. If you've got white papers, you're actually willing to talk about in public. There you go. <laughs> um, I want to talk about AI. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, maybe I can back into it this way. Uh, one of the, I guess, excuses or justifications that I hear a lot for why it is so hard, why, like, well, you know, it sounds good on paper, but privacy, freedom, and whatever, um, is because we're in a digital world war. We've mm -hmm. got powerful adversaries. They're, they're in danger of, uh, maybe they already have sort of gotten a little bit ahead of us on some of these core technologies. China's doing the quantum computing thing. Everyone's sort of racing for, for AI supremacy. Uh, so we can't really afford to kind of, uh, you know, soft pedal the rush to AI dominance. Um, do you know this is a little 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 outside your, your bailiwick. We're talking mm -hmm. geopolitics a little bit here, but it's all one mm -hmm. one ball of wax here. Um, do you think that we are that we are headed toward uh, an irrepressible conflict with with China or with Russia? Is there a possibility for us as you know as heads of state to get mm. together and say, look, if we all scramble in this direction, we're all just going to crash in the middle. It's going to be a train wreck. Um, a lot of people are going to suffer, and uh, you know the nukes might start flying. <laughs> Maybe we can actually create some kind of framework or have some sort of understanding. Uh, where it's not going to be this zero-sum thing and where everyone isn't, you know, where it's not the kind of mindset of like, well, the only way that we can defeat the communists is to become more communist ourselves. You know, I think um, the race to the bottom when it comes to AI development, um, and some people would say AI safety, which is now a dirty word, I understand. Yeah. Um, but I think the race to the bottom is real. Um, I did actually cut my teeth in the foreign policy world. I mm -hmm. started as an intelligence officer, so, you know, looking outward, um, and then was a, a fellow in um, technology and national security at the Center for New American Security. So um, pretty familiar with with the arguments and, and the battles uh, that you articulated. Um, I, I think, and I might be in the, um, you know, Lacoon school here, the Andrew Ng school here, where if we can design these products with our values, then that is our strategic advantage, our comparative advantage. You know, I think that um, when you have the Chinese party state saying that um, our new draft rules for generative AI have to make sure that core socialist values are upheld in the design of these products, those aren't products that the rest of the world should or maybe would want to be using. And that's why I'm, I'm so fanatical about privacy because 
if we can, as the United States and, and just our, our allies, uh, solve that privacy solution, especially for uh, or find the privacy solution, especially for emerging technologies, especially when it comes to AI and imbuing these products with our values of transparency, of openness. Um, I do, you know, call me naive, but I, I do think it'll win the day in the end. Um, and that's when you come to sort of the, the open sourcing some foundation models, certain foundation models, uh, because like with chat with GPT-2, you know, they, they released elements of the model and a lot of the, the open source community can then look at some of these issues, potentially identify malicious use cases and fix them. And then you create that better product. You dictate the design of these products that the rest of the world wants to use. And, you know, that brings us to a conversation about international standards and international standards bodies. You know, we've, we've ceded a lot of that power to China. Yeah. Uh, you look at AI-driven technologies like facial recognition. You know, China has... Um, control over the way that technology is deployed and used globally throughout the world. We haven't been as active as um, as the party state has, and that is a problem. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, I could say that I bleed red, white, and blue, you know, I, and I, as many hits as America has taken uh, in the past few years, um, e even in my own estimation, I, I think that we are still... Um, the lodestar for the rest of the world and should be. And uh, we, we have to stick to legitimate American values, not what Obama was calling our values, you know what I mean? Like actual American values. And technology is not neutral. It's not. You can actually design in values and imbue these technologies with your own value, being openness, being transparency, not core socialist values, especially when it comes to generative AI. And that's going to be something that the rest of the world is going to um, be drawn to, or at least should be. Well, they should, and I agree with you. Uh, but I want to go back to Obama because, you know, mm -hmm. this was the guy, and he sort of, you know, Tim Wu wrote about this. He waved yes. in all of these mergers and acquisitions. Anytime one of the big tech companies wanted to become even bigger, they just, like, uh, waved, you know, they sent sent a little box of chocolates to the Obama administration, and they're like, yes, bigger, mm -hmm. bigger and better. Um, laying that groundwork for what we have right now, which is almost the nationalization of the entire American digital infrastructure. And then, you know, Obama values. You know, what, I mean, you, you ask Vladimir Putin, oh, you want to make, uh, make the Internet have American values. You mean woke values. You mean transing your kids. Like, those are, those are American values now. I mean, you know, our, our, our uh, competitors, rivals, adversaries, whatever you want to call them, they are working this propaganda angle hard. And you know what? It's not made up out of whole cloth. Mm. There is a struggle right now over, over what it means to be American, mm -hmm. what it means to have American values. So, you know, hi, I mean, the Wokies, you know, the Wokies understand that you can't just turn all the machines on and wait for them to lead us to, you know, the, the promised land. They, there has to be some layer of human authority because it's a spiritual kind of authority. It's not just like we, we're going to pass the laws and tell the machines what to do. You got to make sure that your values are in there and yeah. those values are going to come from people. Yep. It's going to come from people at the top that have a certain kind of authority and the wokes have figured this out and they're like social credit, social justice, uh, you know, uh, worship justice, uh, woke supercomputer. This is how we're going to train the people and we're going to make sure that, that we have, you know, weeness, that there's this kind of national cohesion. What's your answer to that? Yeah, well, David Sachs is really good on this, right? Mm -hmm. So he talks about the trust and safety layer that sits atop the large language model when we think about chat GB. 
LGBT. That's programmed by the wokesters. So my answer to that is to not let the big tech companies consolidate and win. And this is the problem that we let grow up under our noses. Even Bill Barr admits yeah. it, uh, that he this this happened under you know their watch, um, the antitrust um, division of the, the FTC or the, the DOJ and then um, uh, the FTC as well, the, the enforcement arm. So um, especially when you have the natural advantages of these big tech companies, of um, the way artificial intelligence is deployed, they accrue to the big tech companies that have been vacuuming up a high volume and variety of data for so many years. Uh, they have so much of the compute power. They can throw the GPUs at the problem. And they're attempting to, uh, they're attempting regulatory capture at this point. They want to stiff arm these new entrants, uh, the, the small, the real innovators, those who do stand to carry the banner for those real American values, not the, um, I'll be honest, the LGBTQ empire that Helen Andrews writes so uh, well about in, in the latest print edition of the American conservative, you know, carrying the, the trans banner to the rest of the world, protected by uh, the American military and propagated by the American State Department. Um, you know, it is the smaller companies that don't wave that flag that these big tech companies are attempting to stiff arm. So my answer is we can't let that happen again. You can't uh, make you you can't allow regulatory capture to happen. You know, placing onerous regulatory burdens on on some of these smaller companies. Hence the open sourcing certain foundation models. I think that's that's critical. You know, letting the whole community, um, you know, letting their work be checked, um, and then letting the the work of the big tech companies as well be checked. Um, there's one, Meta actually is um, uh, advocating for this, partly because of uh, Lacoon's um, um, ideology, but my answer is we can't let what happened with um, the the flow of information and and content happen to artificial intelligence as well, because uh, those trust and safety layers are going to come at you hard. Yeah, well, making our way ever closer to to diving fully into the AI conversation, um, you've got a lot of data centers out there that are owned and operated by the government or by Amazon Web Services, which is basically the government at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, but you do have, you know, still uh, a lot of a lot of private sector guys who are like, look, you know, come and take it. I'm going to have these GPUs. I'm going to build my my models. And um, and I'm going to do it whether you like it or not. So safety has become this this you know, this buzzword, this issue. Yep. Um, I don't find it super uh, plausible that the machines of their own volition are going to take over the planet and kill us all. Um, I'm, I'm more concerned about like, uh, you know, what kind of people in charge do it, thinking of safety in terms of the human element yes. rather than, than the machine it's element. It's a cognitive landscape, it always is. It's a cognitive And a spiritual landscape. one, as you said. And a spiritual one. Um, so, so as, you look at what's going on on the Hill, and as you look at the way that that kind of safetyism movement has penetrated so much of the staffing layer mm -hmm. um, across, you know, and, and in some respects, this is because these are the, a lot of these folks are the, you know, if if you're a if you're a Congress critter and you're like, yikes, I don't get any of this. Who can I hire right now? Who's competent at least understands the vocab? Yep. It's going to be one of the safetyists. Yeah. Um, help help people understand. You know, to, when it comes to AI, when it comes to technology, when is safe good, and when <laughs> is safe actually harmful? Yeah, I think you know guardrails are important, um, and 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 that is I w I would say part of the guardrails have to be sort of AI explainability 
explainable AI. So making sure that the machine or you, there's an audit trail so you can account for the output of the machine. And it could be as simple as um, breaking open what training data uh, specific machines are using. Uh, So the inputs, there, there's inputs, there's processing, and there's outputs. So being able to to tell to you know the best of our ability. When you get into DNNs, you know there's so many layers that even programmers are are it's, it's sort of a black box to them. But as much as possible, having explainable AI or making sure there's some measures for AI explainability, so humans can understand. Okay, if you know the machine is quote unquote making this decision, how did it come to that? You know, what can it be fixed? Is that real? Does it matter? Um, so that's one thing. And that, that's an example of sort of a soft guardrail that's, um, you know, it's not necessarily easy to do, but it, it, it's a good start. Um, and then when you look at things like uh, privacy enhancing technologies and making sure there are approaches to machine learning, like federated models of machine learning that protect individuals and their particular personally identifiable data, that's important too. Uh, enshrining uh, biometric data as sensitive data. These are very, you know, there's NIST guidelines that account for these kinds of things. So those would be some of the softer guardrails that don't necessarily um, make you an AI safetyist. Uh, in, in my mind, obviously, there's degrees of gradation when it comes to all of these things. Um, but if you want to start somewhere, I think you start there. Um, you know, where you, you start to get into trouble is when uh, people start contorting things like algorithmic bias, which is a thing, right? Bias is just a deviation from standard. That's it's, what it's an a algorithm is. Term. Yeah, exactly. It's a technical term. But then when you start to, um, you know, I, I gave a couple congressional testimonies and you have advocacy groups, you know, sort of sitting next to you and being like, well, you know, this this is only bad for marginalized people and whatnot. When you start to bring in uh, those issues and, and do so in a way that is um, not honest, uh, then, then you have a problem because there is, you know, b- bias is an actual thing. And if you can address that in good faith, then you're, you're on your way to making a system that's more accurate, uh, which is kind of what we all want, especially when it comes to things like facial recognition, which is a common um, uh, talking point in the media for, you know, people to be wrongly identified by some of these facial recognition algorithms because they're not as accurate when it comes to different colored faces necessarily, depending on what the machine is trained on. Um, so, that's when you start to, to, to run into issues. And um, if you, I think, emphasize that as AI governance instead of the some of the pure technical ways um, like AI explainability, then it be, starts to become squishy. It starts to become the province of, you know, those of us who, who've never had practitioner experience um, because it briefs well. And I think this is the important thing for, for people to understand, especially if you've never had your hands in the data or you've never, you know, worked at one of these companies or worked with some of these um, these algorithms is uh, things brief really well and they sound good to con- congressional staffers and things like that. But if they're not technically feasible, if they're not really a thing, and engineers will tell you, they will always tell you. I, that's what I learned from my experience working with these guys for for so long. You know, you're the dumbest person in the room to them, um, and they'll they'll be honest with you. Um, that's where um, I think the issues begin to arise uh, when people who are looking for for job security just like to um, say things that sound good but are not necessarily technically feasible and um, really aren't going to redound to the benefit of the user to begin with.
Yeah, when you're a chief of staff or one of those senators whose floor speeches are typed out in 24-point Times New Roman font, uh, it's really tough to say something to those guys that they don't want to hear. Yep, yep. Um, okay, so AI safety. Uh, there's this question of like, is is what's in the box going to be going to be okay? Then there's this question of how much automation is too much. Yeah. You got Eric Schmidt sitting there saying, "Oh, you can trust me. I'm an honest broker. I'm going to show you how to automate the whole whole of government, whole of society. This is going to be great." Um, how much is too much? I I always try to explain it like this. You know, if we allow machines to do what machines do best, like pattern recognition, like identifying anomalies, that's where they should remain. Um, then allow humans to do what humans do best. And the best example I can give of this is when um, when you're out in the field, I was a counterterrorism analyst for for years for the government, um, you know, deployed and, and working with uh, drone cells in the field. And you have rows of full motion video analysts who were dedicated to just watching drone footage over and over and over again. And what they would do is they would do something akin to, you know, labeling is that's a tree, that's a truck, that's a car. You know, when you have a machine using computer vision algorithms to do that, then these people can reserve their analytical rigor for more for tougher problems. Um, so they're not just human beings getting their lunch delivered to them, sitting there, okay, truck, blah, 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 blah. I mean, some of them might, some of them might be unemployed at that point, let's be honest. <laughs> but when you can actually uh, enhance the skill sets of human beings by using machines to do what machines do best, I think that's sort of the sweet spot for automation. Um, I'll be crazy. And I'll, when Tucker and Ben Shapiro were, were having that conversation and, and Tucker's like, yeah, heck yeah, if it's going to put the middle America out of work, then heck yeah, I'm all for, you know, banning this technology. I'm sympathetic to that argument. Um, but I do think where we're best is when we can actually use some automation, like in that example, to enhance the, the natural abilities of human beings. Uh, because we're not you know, so much data was left on the cutting room floor from a lot of our drone footage, but machines can actually parse through that data and find what we need to figure out to get what was a legitimate foreign Islamist terrorist uh, in that um, in that scenario, in, the, in those vignettes. So use the machines where machines uh, do best and then use human beings where we do best, which is, hey, when the commander looks over at you and says, is this the guy based off X, Y, Z, you use your critical thinking abilities and your checklist and you say, yes, commander, that's him. Let's take the shot. All right. Well, you, you're saying you're, you're ready to be crazy. I'll be a little bit crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, definitely not not going to challenge Tucker on that point. But here's here's sort of like what what concerns me. Um, the 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 raw material of human Americans who are competent enough and sort of mentally and physically and spiritually fit enough to skill up mm. is is dwindling. Yeah. You look at the education numbers. I mean, coming out of COVID, we just got destroyed. Yes. You know, people are unwell. Mm -hmm. People are are undereducated in the basics. Yep. Literacy is ter I mean, you look at if if you were like 6 years old in 2020 and like what's your reading level now? Like maybe it's third grade, maybe it's worse. Yeah. It's a it's a disaster. These these kinds of folks, God bless them, are are it's going to be a you talk about Sisyphus. It's going to mm -hmm. be insurmountable climb to get skilled up by AI yep. and why would you do that as a, a whether you're a corporation or whether you're a federal agency when you can just you know now you're on disability and now Eric Schmidt is going to take your place 
Uh, you look at, I mean, you know, this is uh, something I try not to think too much about, but it's hard not to think about it. You know, all these sort of near collisions in the air, air yeah. traffic com controllers not doing their job. Yep. They're already relying on machines and you're still kind of sketchy. Yeah. Um, what I'm worried about is, is this, is just are there enough competent people, adult, mature people who have it together so that we don't have to start falling back on the machines in a way that's not gonna be good for us. Well, we're certainly not minting them by the day, uh, as you say. I mean, when you know people talk about the opiate of the masses, you know, this is the opiate of the masses. This is what our kids are using as their source of news, things like TikTok. Um, and we are you know, raising a generation of kids that are slack-shot and drooling and just letting the images sort of pass over their eyes um, and not um, given to you know, any critical thinking abilities. Um, the, the higher, um, you know, transcendent issues that, that make our, our souls alive at all, um, big problem. In fact, I used to have a, um, the background of my phone used to be that sort of a, a picture. Have you seen, you know, Ready Player One, right? Of like course, the yeah. headset. Uh -huh. And then there's, um, in that style, there's a a person living in squalor, barefoot, dirty, curled in the, up in yep, the curled up with the bright. Um, I, I say it's Oculus because I did a couple demos when I was on Facebook. Um, just completely enervated and um, a, a husk of um, of man fully alive. Yeah, right. We, we are all Howard Hughes now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, you know, what is to stop? the Eric Schmitz of the world uh, or, you know, the, the Biden administrations of the world for saying, OK, put all those people on UBI, hook them up uh, to their, you know, Ready Player One headsets and just let them sort of live out their days. Um, you and me, us, the resistance, right? Like the actual resistance. It's people who understand that this is a spiritual war, that it's about catechizing the bots, that this is a weapon and we have to confront it. Um, you know, it's it's being able to tell the American people the truth about this thing and being able to tell people on our side who are very comfortable with the status quo, who love the pointy line go up. So I'm just I'm not going to say anything because I'm comfortable and I can pay for my second home and my ski vacation and whatnot. I, I, it's, you know, like in Braveheart, it's up to us, Hamish. <laughs> you know, we yeah. are the ones who who we know the truth. So we have to we have to say it. And it's not, it hasn't garnered us much success on the Hill because people are still learning. They're, they're coming around. But look at the states. Look at the state attorney general. Look at, look at Montana, uh, where they became the first state to ban TikTok on personal devices because they have a moral clarity about the threat. Uh, look at all the age verification legislation in Utah, which says, no, this kind of thing is poisoning the minds of our children. And not only is it actually hurting our kids, but, but these companies know that they're doing it. And yet they're doubling down. In fact, they're, they're creating teams. They're trying to create products to draw in younger and younger users, 9 to 11 year olds, preteens, valuable but untapped audiences in the words of Facebook. You know, so it, it, it's up to, I think, a, a small but hearty band of individuals who say, no, I'm not going to get the, the sexy big tech job again after this. But it doesn't matter because this is the right thing to do. Well, according to my calculations, I did them all myself by hand. Slide <laughs> uh -oh. rule only, no AI assistant. Uh, we got time for about two more hot button issues. You, you surfaced one of them just now. 
for, for a lot of people, you know, the, the, the phone is just a social media box. So uh, so let's rate the apps. Uh-oh. All right, you ready? Yeah. Um, TikTok, you brought it up first. Um, give them a letter grade and uh, and tell everyone what to do with TikTok. Um, F minus, cast it into the depths of hell. Wow. Um, because, yeah, it is. It so is, it's like a low. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's the lowest um, rock bottom. And then there, there you know, CapCut's coming up too, Luminate, mm -hmm. you know, all sorts of mm -hmm. CCP Beholden um, applications. But TikTok. CapCut, sort of like a video editing. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Very, very easy, very effective. Yeah, and a lot of people are using it and not mm -hmm. thinking about the ramifications. Um, I would say TikTok at this point is more dangerous. TikTok is a weapon because it's the, the influence operation potential. We know that um, tiny state media connected accounts pushed um, all sorts of uh, negative information about conservative candidates in the 2020 election and favored Democrat candidates. Uh, we know through some journalists who are creating uh, these TikTok accounts and registering as young users, 14-year-old users, that they're served suicidal ideation, gender dysphoria content, um, uh, eating disorder content in a matter of minutes. Some experienced it in under five minutes once they registered as 14-year-old girls in the West, at least. Uh, we know that, um, you know, I'll, I'll try to stick with TikTok, but against the backdrop of studies that are actually reifying a causal connection between life satisfaction at sensitive adolescent periods and habitual social media use. You know, it is rewiring the brains of children as young as 12 years old, according to a UNC study from uh, January 2023. So TikTok is the worst offender uh, because of the national security implications and because children are using it as their source of news, primarily now, according to some new studies. And um, 67% of American teenagers are using it. 16% are, are on it almost constantly. And uh, the influence operations potential, um, we've, we've only really begun to scratch the surface with the pro-Hamas content, um, anti-Israel content that is infecting the, the brains of young kids today. All right, so big X over uh, over <laughs> TikTok.com. Let's talk about X.com. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, maybe there's a porn problem on X.com. <laughs> maybe we could talk about that. Uh, but, you know, no question. Uh, this this was not supposed to be what happened to Twitter. Yep. And uh, and lo and behold, say what you will about Elon, but uh, but he grabbed the wheel and, and turned things in a much different direction. How's how's X doing? How should we feel about it? Yeah, love it. Um, I'd give it a B right now. Um, some of the, I know a lot, lots of people are being affected by the algorithmic changes, um, but I, I give it a B because it is the bright spot, is the lone um, outlier in an ideological monopoly uh, when it comes to a lot of these social media platforms. Um, um, I think Elon understands that he's not going to make money on it, uh, but he's doing this because he he thinks it's the right thing to do. And he said as much. He's like, this is a, a bad investment for me. But if we lose this, if we lose free speech, then we lose everything. So I admire him for that. You know, trust, put not your trust in princes. I, I understand that. Um, mm. And 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 I don't. But but I do think he has courage. Um, I'd like to see him be less cozy with China. Uh, but I, I think his his courage has um, allowed us to at least have a glimmer of what the marketplace of ideas used to actually be, and that is genuine. Um, I say it's on life support right now, and it's only on life support because X is the ventilator. All right, well, the uh, the Musk versus Zuck fight was a, was a nice meme for a while. It looks like the real fight, though, is taking place in uh, in cyberspace. Yeah. Uh, we've got Facebook still still out there, Meta kind of a question mark. Mm -hmm. um, he's definitely, you know, obviously, you, you mentioned throwing his weight around in, in, in politics. I think under duress, I think they put a gun to his head <laughs> after 2016 his and said, are good. Uh, you know, we are going to just punish you for Trump until you are just basically a, uh, a bot that we pilot around. Um, is, he, is he lost to the Borg or? 
or what's what's going to happen? So. No, it's interesting that you bring that up because I've said that, and people are like, "Oh, you're just stumbling for your old boss kind of thing." But no, I think I think Mark's instincts are good, um, I, or they were good at least. You know, when um, there were people that would would tell him, "Okay, well, you can't have you know these types of people on the platform," and he'd be like, "No, we can." And then in in October of 2018, he gave that speech in Georgetown, and he said, "Facebook is going to be the um, uh, the counterweight to a um, censorious China," and you know there and yes, there is an economic benefit to him saying that. But at the same time, if that had been true, then, you know, I think we'd be in a much different place than we are now, especially when it came to banning Trump from from Facebook um, and um, suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story in the election of 2020, which was a huge thing. And um, over half of Americans think that was electoral interference. So according to McLaughlin and Associates poll, um, so I, I do think Mark's instincts are good, uh, I, but at this point, I, I think he's gone too far. Some people say he's sort of lost in the metaverse anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but but the the lunatics are running the insane asylum, uh, and uh, I don't see Facebook coming back to its original promise of democratizing information, alas. Yeah, all right. I mean, I think those are the big three. If, if there's another one out there that, that you think is worth uh, worth a second uh, as far as the apps go, then then I'll give you I'll give you a minute. But there's uh, there's there's one more. Uh, Elephant in the room that I want to hit on. Uh -oh. So, uh, so let's do that. Uh, we did AI. We did social media. Gotta talk about Bitcoin. Mm. Jamie Dimon gets up there on television. Elizabeth Warren was right. If I was the government, I would ban it. It's for criminals only. <sighs> I'm sitting here thinking you are turning me into the Joker. I'm going to become a criminal <laughs> yeah. because of the way that you're talking about this technology. Uh, I've I've hit on this before on a couple shows, but uh, no one no one better than you to really just lay it out. Where do things stand on policy? Um, I see this technology as one of the very few, you know, for all that all that AI is doing or can do, this isn't something that ordinary Americans can just grab and yeah. do something with that actually, you know, that, that allows them to participate in, in a market economy. Yeah, you can make sort of like AI pictures or ask the, the chat to like you do, write your essay for you or whatever, and maybe things will take off from there. But really, you know, Bitcoin, the promise of it, merger of, of money and information, terribly powerful. If it's not going to be something that Americans uh, as a whole wield, it's going to be someone else. Might be the Chinese, might be the Israelis, yeah. uh, might be Jamie Dimon. You know, <laughs> I mean, you see with Gensler and these other people, they, they, you, one minute they're talking about it like it's just a, a sort of curiosity. The next minute they're trying to, to take it all for themselves. Uh, even if you look at Twitter, you know, it's all kind of just a world computer. Yeah. It's all this kind of rush to be the world computer. Uh, Elon, you know, we can't all own X. We can't even if we're making you know, sort of thirty bucks every month because we we post on it. Uh, just uh, just give give Bitcoin a grade and and tell us where you think it's going and, and where the promise is. Okay, don't kill me. Um, I think I would give it a C plus at this point because I think Bitcoin could That's be above average. Is it okay? I think it could be whatever you want it to be. Right? It could be that foretaste of heaven that you just articulated. Right? Like decentralized technology. Some of the underlying technologies could be very very useful to us when we're all in the gulag or right before the gulag shall we say, if we want to actually have some degree of digital agency. Um, you know, I've been uh, talking to some really smart people who are sort of saying, no, you know, this is a smokescreen. It, it's going to be used for ill because of the digital chain of custody, because the fact that you're going to be able to figure out wh who is using Bitcoin no matter what. Um, so so I think there's there there's there's good and there's ill. Um, I am genuinely on, generally on the side of, it, you know, it's sort of that hedge uh, against government overreach at this point. Um, I will give a nod to you. The the Second Amendment for compute. Um, I think I try to evangelize that to the high heavens. Everyone's like, "What are you talking about? You arcane weirdo!" And I'm like, "It's all James. Just go to James because it, it is something that, especially, I'll tie it into you know what we're doing at Heritage. We want and we think a conservative 
conservative policies, you know, self-governance, saving the republic at this point depends on family formation. It depends on us being able to, you know, have children, have our own families. And how are we going to do it if we can't have the ability to have our own GPUs, if we can't have the ability to make a living in a digital economy that's not tethered to a overbearing Biden administration, you know, into perpetuity. So there has to be a way we're sort of toying with the idea of like a digital homestead act and integrating the idea of, you know, Second Amendment for, for GPUs and the ability for um, individual family units to, to have this processing capability to, you know, be able to use Bitcoin to exchange money and, um, and and live as we're being segmented off from the rest of the population because our email delivery services are saying, we don't like your politics, because our payment processors are saying, we don't like your politics, because our social media platforms are saying, we don't like your politics, because our Airbnb and our you know renting schemes and our fundraising schemes that are all digitized say, we don't like your politics, so you can't live in our world. What is it? The Tocqueville quote, right? You're, you're, you're basically walking around, but you're not a fully a citizen anymore. What you Bitcoin, those underlying technologies are the hedge against that. So I am still in the positive camp for now. Well, yeah, I mean, look, to be fair, like Bitcoin is is terribly dangerous. It's, yeah. it's a beast. It's yes. a very powerful beast. And someone's going to get their hands on it first and use it in in that kind of fully exploitative way, unless we can get it into the hands of ordinary people. I mean, CBDCs, that is game yeah. over for America. Yes. This is this is an off ramp to that. But it, I, I think it is absolutely essential to remember that, you know, this is not just like a fun toy. This mm -hmm. is not something that allows us to kind of live on the mountaintop and, and watch <laughs> the mana rain down from heaven. This is a weapon, too. Yeah. And uh, and if it's not if it's not wielded by the good guys, it's going to be the bad guys. Yep, that's what we say in tech. You know, if if you build it, they will come. You know, it's going to be used for ill no matter what you do. There's going to be a cat and mouse game, so you might as well let the good guys wield the weapon too. All right, 2024, it's right around the corner. Uh, what do you think is going to happen in tech? Uh, that's a good question. Um, if, frankly, I. I think a lot of this depends on AI policy. Um, and if there's something uh, concrete, again, if you cement sort of the, the the big tech companies as the ones in control programming these trust and safety layers that flatten what the next generation of American children can see and learn and read and think about in general, that's going to be a huge issue. Controlling that flow of information um, and, and sticking a stake through the heart of the marketplace of ideas uh, through um, bad AI policy, that worries me very, very much. Um, I, I don't see anything coming out of uh, the Hill um, in the first half of the year necessarily. But if, if we can get sort of explainability right and, and, and keep it... Uh, in that box, vice creating these, you know, massive, you know, regulatory moats around big tech companies that are going to do what the Biden administration and their ilk want. Um, that'll be a victory. So let's start there. Otherwise, um, let Elon Elon and, and let X run amok uh, so that we can uh, actually have access to information that we're going to need before we go to the voting booth. You said uh, place not your trust in princes. Uh, do you have any heroes? Right now? Um, uh, I'm with Tucker Carlson in this. My hero is my dad. My hero is the people, my husband, um, the people that I look in the eyes and that are right next to me. Uh, those are, those should be, you know, your heroes too as well. You know, not my dad, not my husband, but when it comes to um, loving your neighbor, um, I think that's, that's what you have to do first and foremost. You know, it's, 
never meet your heroes either, right? So, so yeah, I only have the ones closest to me that I've already met. Strong men, still relevant in <laughs> yep. the 21st century. Kara Frederick, you are the best. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be happy to have you back anytime. Thanks, James. All right, in the meantime, that is all we've got. If you want to keep up with what we are doing here at Blaze Media, go to theblaze.com slash return for the very latest on tech. Give us a like or a comment on YouTube here. Until next time, I'm James Polis. This is Zero Hour, and may God have mercy on us all.